What's going on, y'all? Welcome into another episode of Cheap Seats Chatter. Today, I'm your host, David Gillespie. Alongside with me is Ryan Potts, a.k.a. Splash, Matthias Altman Kurosaki, a.k.a. Mac, and Alex Clark also joining in on the podcast. We hope you guys are having a wonderful Friday afternoon or evening, depending on where you are in the country. Uh, we're going to keep introductions to a minimum today due to the heavy content that we're about to begin the show with. So let's just get right on into it. Uh, news came to light today that Trevor Bauer will be placed on administrative leave for seven days by MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred after he was accused of both domestic violence and sexual assault involving one woman on two separate occasions. Uh, the allegations came out Tuesday night uh, from a report released by TMZ detailing a restraining order that had been placed on him by the victim involved in these two separate occasions. Uh, she alleges that both were initial consensual sexual encounters that actually turned violent after Bauer had engaged in choking her out multiple times to the point of unconsciousness, including with her own hair, also repeatedly punching her in the head and face, and even sexually assaulting her anally, allegedly to the point of bleeding. So it's very, very gruesome details that were revealed within this report. This also taken place, some of these uh, actions also taken place while she was unconscious, including the sexual assaults and the punching that took place. Uh, they, they apparently met through Instagram uh, before meeting up on uh, April 21st, where the first encounter took place, and then ultimately meeting up again on May 15th of this year. She was left with two black eyes, scratches on her face as well, bruised and cut lips, and even a skull fracture. Now, as of now, Bauer has not been arrested nor charged, but because... Manfred has the power and the jurisdiction to place him on administrative leave despite whatever happens. And even furthermore, he could punish uh, Bauer uh, for what for these accusations that have been revealed. Uh, this is why he is now not active for the Dodgers. He was initially thought to be active for his Sunday start after Dave Roberts said he was going to move forward with him on the mound. But ultimately, Manfred came in, stepped in and decided to put him on administrative leave. Right now, she's been granted a restraining order that will last until the hearing that will take place on July 23rd, which will continue to determine how long the restraining order will take place from there on out, because currently it is temporary. Uh, allegedly, texts were sent by the accuser claiming that she wanted to be choked out, quote-unquote, and also uh, to, to, to be given all the pain, uh, claiming that this is something that she wanted, according to Trevor Bauer's team and representatives. Now, uh, Lee's expected to wait until either the Pasadena police investigation or internal investigation concludes to furthermore decide on a potential punishment uh, since no arrests have been made and since Bauer denies the accusations. Guys, where do the Do what do you make of how the Dodgers handled this situation today? Um, also, given the fact that they also uh, they decided this a couple days after the fact that these allegations had been revealed, how does this look? for the Dodgers, for MLB, in terms of the way they've handled it thus far with the Trevor Bauer situation? Well, I'm glad that they've acted quickly. Um, this is a very, very disturbing situation. Um, there's no other way to describe it. I mean, clearly, Trevor Bauer had just, he, he went way too far with this. Um, you know, for, I mean, he literally, he it's beyond just these, messages that he claims uh show that she was asking for it which i mean 
nobody ever asks for a fractured skull or to get beaten unconscious. Just there is uh, so much wrong with what he did. Um, and, uh, you know, MLB can only go uh, so far as to put him on administrative leave until the investigation is concluded. So I think for now, I mean, they acted on it. Uh, they didn't wait around. Um, I know that I remember yesterday Dave Roberts did say that uh, MLB hadn't told him to scratch Bauer from his start on Sunday, but now it's clear. I mean, I think, you know, so the leave technically is only seven days, but uh, MLB would have to reinstate him and he will not get reinstated. I mean, the hearing is on July 23rd. Uh, from there, we will know more, but I fully expect him to get indicted. Um, I don't know what the future holds for him or for the Dodgers or for MLB, but regardless, it's a dark, dark situation. And I, it's reading the story was sickening. Um, I don't, that might be an understatement. It was just incredibly disturbing. There are images servicing, there's text messages. I mean, it's just, it's beyond, beyond terrible. It really is. And that's, what's really horrifying about all of this is that's, for this, again, just to see that this is a guy that back during the offseason was the hot free agent. This is the guy that everyone wanted to get their hands on, and now no one wants to be anywhere near him, and for obvious reasons. Uh, one of the things that I will say is I am impressed with the MLB in being quick about this, because we see other times where the MLB and, and Manfred have just kind of waited around for something to happen, and then will make a decision at the last possible second, which, I mean, there is some merit to that, but for something like this, this is one that's a very sensitive issue with a very high-profile player. You've got to be able to make some sort of precedent on this, and at least putting them on administrative leave, I think that's the right decision right now, because as much as everything is going on right now, in the eyes of the court right now, you are innocent until proven guilty, and with this, I mean, looking at everything, everything that's going on here, we don't want to say, I don't, we can't just go and say, oh, obviously this happened, obviously this happened. What we have are the facts that are in front of us, and it's not looking good for Bauer, and honestly, that's fine. Again, if you do something that heinous, you deserve to be punished for it. So, we'll see what the LB is going to do. I'm just glad that they're not, that they're not just pushing it to the side because Bauer is a high-profile player. Because we see time and time again from other sports leagues and even in baseball itself that we've seen high-profile players that just kind of get the, oh, no, it'll be fine, treatments. And then it turns out to not be fine, and then they say, okay, fine, now we'll do something about it. No, this time they're actually saying, okay, we're actually going to do something about it. Let's just go ahead and do it. I think one thing to note is that baseball is out in front on this, and that's that's great for Major League Baseball. But in a hypothetical world, let's say Bauer is 100% innocent. He's not suspended. He still gets his salary. He's going to miss a start, maybe two. Um, baseball can, can request an extension of an additional week um, if necessary. So if Bauer is innocent, he doesn't lose any salary, he just misses a couple starts, no long-term issues for Bauer. If it is, if Bauer is guilty, Major League Baseball took the initiative and got out in front of this, so they're not playing, uh, they're not like playing catch up on it. They were out in front to begin with, and they made it very clear that domestic violence is not something to fool around with. And I, 
I like this strong stance that Major League Baseball takes here that, you know, if their player is innocent, okay, cool. He doesn't lose any money um, and nothing happens. But if he is guilty, then he's not playing and actions can be taken for him to be suspended or banned from baseball. Yeah, it was just, I, I found it kind of interesting, though, that it took a couple days for them to respond and, and ultimately decide that, yeah, he needs to be put on administrative leave. I figured it would have happened almost instantaneously after these allegations came to light. Nonetheless, they absolutely made the right decision here, not allowing him to start on uh, on for Sunday's game against the Nationals, where he was expected to next play. Um, this is as probably as gruesome as I have ever uh, it, it, these are probably as gruesome details as I have ever read involving a domestic violence and a, a sexual assault case um, in any sport, frankly. Out of all the cases that I've read, I've never seen something that is as shocking and as eye-opening as what I've read throughout this report. I mean, we're talking about skull fractures. We're talking about uh, sexual assault that led to bleeding, allegedly, uh, bruises, black eyes, everything. Everything heinous and despicable and matchable that could happen to a person without obviously hurting them to the point of, of risking death basically happened. And it was just, it was just shocking to see this, you know, for, for someone who's, who's been in, in such a, a public limelight and, and is, you know, currently the highest paid player in all of baseball. And you, you would figure that someone would, you know, would put on this stage at such a prestigious level would understand, you know, that, that, they can't be acting like that at all. Uh, no one should be, and, and especially someone you know like Bauer, who who obviously is at, uh, who's obviously is such a a, a, a a such a popular name, and, and is going to be. Everyone's going to you know understand that this is someone who. This is someone who's who's in the public limelight, and your name's going to be circulating around if, if you're attached to this too. And it's just absolutely despicable to read what what potentially took place. Thankfully, they put him on administrative leave. They could potentially actually put him on longer administrative leave, as obviously uh, Splash had alluded to. Um, Domingo Herman, back in 2019, had actually been placed on uh, administrative leave that lasted uh, over a month. Um, you know, when he was his, when he was placed on administrative leave at the end of September of that year, uh, going past the World Series even. So they could even last longer when they are able to sort out the details and find out what exactly took place. He's claiming. That this is this is something she wanted to ha she wanted to happen, uh, that she welcomed this. This is what her request was, her sexual request was while they were engaging um, in intercourse. But the thing is, consent's going to be an interesting here thing. And, and, and I'm not an illegal expert, but from from what I've read, uh, there was this interesting article on SB Nation, uh, written by Cheryl Ring, who's an attorney, as well, uh, who talked about how consent. The way they, they, they're going to evaluate consent in this case is going to be very, very, uh, very interesting in, in how they handle it. Because this is when he requested when she said that she wanted, quote unquote, all the pain and that she wanted to be choked out. It didn't also state within her text that she allegedly had sent uh, that were released to Larry Brown Sports that she wanted her skull fracture, that she wanted to be. Uh, 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 she wanted anal intercourse after the fact of being unconscious. So 
there's that that's going to come into play that's, that may find him liable for, for what he's been accused of. And, of course, no charges, no arrests have been made, which is frankly shocking in and of itself, too. You would have expected that that would have come out as well, but nothing has happened as of lately. Just a restraining order is at most what has happened outside of the administrative leave um, in terms of what's legally happened. Uh, so they've got to handle this the right way. I, I, I think there should be an absolute zero tolerance policy with domestic violence for stuff like this. This should result in a and for Major League Baseball, if you're asking me, it is so heinous. Charges should be brought against him. Uh, if this is allegedly true, um, again, this is all depending on if this is true. He's claiming that a lot of what took place pro uh, did happen, but that uh, that ultimately, you know, it was it was welcomed by her and that it was requested by her. It, again, that's going to be an interesting, interesting thing to see how this plays out. They've got to get it right, though. They absolutely must get it right. And administrative leave is just the start. They, they need to, to discipline him harshly when it's all said and done if he is, in fact, guilty of what he's been accused of. And it doesn't certainly look good right now with the fact that he said a lot of what has taken place, uh, a lot of what, uh, that, that a lot of what she is saying did take place, ultimately, on those two different account, uh, encounters. But... An ugly day for uh, an ugly week for baseball to, to have to have this incident in the forefront and, and just an ugly situation uh, for society as a whole just to see this still being such a pervasive situation with domestic violence and with sexual assault and not understanding how to handle it appropriate, uh, how to handle uh, uh, relations with people appropriately because this is as despicable as it gets. And, Again, I, I, I'm hoping for a swift punishment if this is, in fact, proved to be true. Um, we're going to transition, though. We're going to transition, though, to a little bit of a lighter topic, a, a lot more lighter of a topic, I should say, uh, a lot lighter of a topic with Kyle Schwarber and the tear he's gone on at the plate, power-wise, over the last few weeks, hitting 337, uh, or excuse me, 333 over the last uh, 20 games, uh, and also. 16 home runs. I mean, unbelievable what we've seen from him for the Nationals this far. Just unprecedented. We're talking 16 home runs, 333 batting average, 987 slugging through the course of 20 games thus far. And 22 runs scored. So more runs scored than games played over a 20-game stretch. I, this is just unbelievable. I know he's not exactly... Been able to do uh, show off a ton out in the field and, and, and as a contact hitter, but power-wise, these are unprecedented numbers that we haven't seen uh, uh, since the, the the you know the controversial steroid era with the '90s, late '90s and early 2000s with Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa, who went on similar stretches through uh, through 18 games. He actually had 16 home runs through 18 games, not just 20 games, but 18 games. What do you guys make of this incredible feat from Kyle Schwarber and what he's been able to accomplish as a power hitter for the Nationals this far? I think one thing I look at is a lot of these are leadoff home runs. This is ice cold, right off right off the bench, walking out, first couple pitches, bang. Um, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. I think he had 10 leadoff home runs in a month. Like, that is... I, I don't think I could do that in MLB The Show. I don't think I could do that in the old MLB 2Ks. Um, he, as a leadoff hitter this season, he is uh, 11 for 20 with seven home runs. That's a 550, 550, 
1650 slash line. That that is incomprehensible. He has 33 total bases and 20 plate appearances. That that's ridiculous. And you know, as a uh, leadoff hitter all season, just the 20 game sample size, he has a 1400 OPS. That's up there with 2004 Bonds. If we're putting it this in a season perspective, of course it's only 20 games. I know that, but the power surge from Schwarber is unbelievable. He slugged 987 out of the one hole this month. That that just doesn't happen. You don't see that at the top of the order, and it's something that's fueled the Nationals. And now, it ha- if they were not playing the Dodgers right now, they might pass the Mets in the division. So, okay, I'll, I'll probably be the one that's that'll play a little bit heel on this one. Yes, it is incredible what he has done. He has been absolutely on fire over the last good stretch here. And you know what? Definitely good for him. But I'm also going to say that this has definitely just been a good stretch. And over the course of the season, I mean, he has had a good season-ish so far right now. Batting 251, definitely more of a resurgence for him now with the Nationals and being a leadoff hitter. He's not the prototypical leadoff hitter. He's not the small guy that's fast that'll get on first base. He's going to be the guy that's going to start the game off with a bang, and he's been doing that. I mean, over the last 15 games, again, as 12 home runs, a 328 batting average, slugging 966. It's just unheard of. It's an incredible thing, but remember, it is still just a stretch. It's just a good little piece of the season. It's not sustainable. But if he can keep it up even a little bit more, that's just going to make his numbers look that much more inflated. Because right now, again, 25 home runs, and we're not even halfway through the season. That's incredible. But that's also been his game. Again, he's always been known as a big power hitter, the big bopper. But for Schwarbs right now, I think with this, it's really good that he's starting to get a little bit more attention for it. But let's hold the brakes a little bit on it. Because over the course of the season, yes, we read the stats over the last 15 games. Over the course of the entire season right now, he's batting just 251, which, again, not bad. For a power hitter, I'm taking that. But it's not outstanding. The, the most outstanding thing for him is his slugging and his OPS, where his OPS right now over the course of the season is a 909. I will gladly take that any day of the week. But for right now, I need to see a little bit more from this because we had a good while where Kyle Schwarber was just nothing, where he just was barely playing. He wasn't hitting the ball out. He was a backup at best. And now he's starting to have a little bit more of a resurgence. Any player can be a flash in the pan. I want to see him be cooking the bacon, not just the little grease fire. What do you well, say? I mean, uh, here, here's so, uh, I don't know if I call this streaky necessarily, but uh, so Kyle Schwarber from May 29th to June 11th, uh, he did not hit any homers. So that's a stretch. So that starts in the, the second game of the doubleheader against the Brewers to the first game of a doubleheader on June 12th against the Giants. That's That spans, he went 11 games without hitting a home run. And then all of a sudden, he rattles off 16 homers in 18 games, which uh, you alluded to it, David. But uh, the only other players to, I, they were talking about when the Mets were facing them uh, on Monday, but... The only other players to have a stretch where they hit uh, 15 home runs in 17 games were Sammy Sosa in 1998 and Barry Bonds in 2001. So, I mean, like, sort of like what Alex said, like, yes, this is just a hot stretch. But if you look at it also, the Nationals, even with last night's loss, they've won 12 of their last 16 games. They went from 
in my eyes, I thought they were out of it. I didn't think they were contending this year, but all of a sudden they played their way back into second place and they're only two games back of the Mets. I mean, the, the nationals have been absolutely rolling ever since they put Schwarber in the leadoff spot. And he, uh, was recognized by winning July player of the month in the national league. But I think the key is for him is how much, how long will he be able to keep this going? Will he continue to slug home runs? Cause you know, they're not paying the big bucks to be, you know, Trey Turner. They're paying him to be a slugger. And this is a guy who got non-tendered in the off season. And so he's only on a one-year contract and who knows, this could play him into some big money in the off season. I mean, he's shown in the past, that he's a big power. He had 38 homers. Uh, I believe that was in, I believe in 20, yeah, in 2019, he had 38 homers. So he's shown that in the past he can hit for power. It's just, will he, how long can he keep this up? Because in my opinion, I think this is more of a, you know, the Nationals will go as far as Schwarber does right now because Juan Soto has been disappointing this year. Trey Turner is injured. I mean, the 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 hot streak has been very much carried by Schwarber. So now it's a matter of can he keep it going and can the Nationals keep it going? Because with the way the rest of the division has been playing, uh, the Nationals could easily go into first place. It's just, are they going to be, are they doing enough? Like, will they, this turn them from uh, likely sellers into likely buyers? Uh, I think this will have a huge impact on the team's performance. And, uh, but for now, I mean, I think this has been simply amazing. Uh, having watched him play against the Mets a few times, I mean, he tore—he absolutely tore them apart during those games, and it seemed like he was just seeing a beach ball. I mean, there were some pitches that were at his face, and he was still like—he looked like he like tomahawked it, and the ball would go out. I think one—you uh, know—people were saying like, you know, maybe try to pitch him up and in. Well, he uh, Jared Eichhoff, the first bat uh, who's starting on Monday, Schwarber's leading off, and he. Eikhoff throws him an up and in fastball and somehow Schwarber hit it into the upper deck. It's just every, everything he sees right now, he's hitting out. So it, it's been amazing to watch, even as a division rival. I've, I don't know if I've ever seen a hot streak like this. Yeah, you literally just segued into my next question. I was going to also ask uh, um, Alex and Splash. Uh, what do you guys make of the potential impact that he could have on the Nationals from here on out in terms of climbing up that NLE ladder and potentially taking the division crown? Well, I mean, here's my here my here's my take on it. The Nationals are a very talented team when you take a look at them. Like we talk about Trey Turner being injured. Before he was injured, he was on fire. He was a player. He was the player to watch right now. And even though he's not a leadoff guy for them as much, I mean, he's still that prototypical leadoff guy. The guy with a little bit of pop to him, but is the speedy guy that gets on base. And then. Juan Soto has been disappointing this year, but remember, it is still Juan Soto we're talking about here. He's still one of the most electrifying players in baseball right now, and they still have Max Scherzer. This is still a very good team we're talking about here. So I think overall, what any good team, and I think a lot of people can agree with me on this, a good team can be good when you when you get that spark. If a, if a team is struggling, it's like a firewood. You, you have all the potential for fire. You just need that little spark. And right now, Schwarber very well could be that spark to where I don't think that he's, you know, the next Barry Bonds or Sammy Sosa or anything like that. But you know what? All it takes is one player to get hot. 
to try and help the rest of the team get hot. And with a and with a spark like this with that has been really leading this team over the last couple of weeks, I mean that that's impressive. That's a there's a lot to work with right there. And he has been leading this team and picking up wins. Now it's just about whether or not the rest of the team can try to sustain along with him. Absolutely. And I actually had a conversation with my grandmother a few weeks ago about the Nationals as a whole and how they're a little top-heavy, especially when they won the World Series. You had it's Soto, Trey, and then Corbin, Strasburg, Scherzer. And this year, it's a lot of the same. If you look at Baseball References top 10 players in the National League by OPS+, Plus, you have three Nationals right there, Schwarber, Turner, Soto. And like you mentioned with Soto, his down year is an OPS plus of 139. Like he's still getting on base at 40%. He's still having a great year and the expected numbers say he's going to get even better. And this is a a Nationals team that you go one, two, three through their lineup and you have three guys that are borderline impossible to get out at, at certain points. You know, Schwarber has been smashing the baseball Turner hit for the cycle on his birthday a couple days ago, and he is a dynamo. And then Soto, I mean, he's coming off a season that he was the best hitter since Barry Bonds, and he's, for his career, is one of the best hitters we've seen at, what, 22? So you see the talent. And then Max Scherzer, you know, turning back the clock. He's having another Cy Young caliber season, if you exclude Jacob deGrom, for obvious reasons. But this is a Washington team that, if not for their schedule, they're probably blitzing past the Mets heading into the All-Star break. And, you know, this is, I know it's just a streak, like you mentioned, and there's been guys in baseball history that have hit, say, 12 home runs in 12 days. Albert Bell did it. Troy Tulowitzki did it. But this is, this is like the 2019 Nationals all over again. You have that ugly start. They weren't quite the worst team in baseball, but I think they did spend a couple days in the cellar of the NL East. And now, like you mentioned, 12 and four in their last 16 and I want no part of this national team moving forward when you can throw an ace like Scherzer. And I mean, you would think Patrick Corbin can be remotely competent, but when you're one, two, three are is Schwarber, Turner, Soto, like no matter what four through nine is, you're going to get a couple runs every game. And it's, it's hard to, it's hard to beat a team that has three superstars and three guys that, had the All-Star break been maybe three weeks later, Schwarber and Turner might, play, well, I guess Fernando Tatis exists, but Schwarber could have played his way into a position, and Trey Turner should be an All-Star. Yeah. So right well, now with, I'll say one thing real quick as more of a joke than anything, uh, but if this is the 2019 Nationals, then at that point, who's going to be the player that turns Baby Shark into their opening walk-up song? <laughs> well, Gerardo Parra is back, so... Uh, yeah, yeah, get, yeah, get Gerardo Parra to start doing that again, because that was really one of the... Well, he, he's, you know, he's on the team. He's active. Yeah, I know. I said, get, let him go back to oh, using Oh, okay, it. yeah. Yeah, let him go back to using it. I mean... Here's the, you take a look at that, and you, I mean, that was one of the parts of the 2019 team that when he changed his walk-up song, he started playing like an all-star caliber player, and the rest of the team rallied around him. So, I mean, I guess, are we going to go back to having Baby Shark again for this team? Sounds like Alex, a little bit of that, uh, into that superstition with that Baby Shark, you know, being a good luck charm. Um, but yeah, I, I, 
I personally, I'd never really. I always thought Baby Shark was such a corny song for them to have. I, I 100% agree. I, oh, I 100% agree, but I, the best thing about it is that you have an entire stadium of people doing it, and it's basically just like, this is what hell looks like. Yeah. It is just pure Baby Shark. My God, is it annoying, though. But, you know, hey, if it works, it works. And obviously, the Nationals have seen their fair share of luck. Again, they're. One game above 500 right now after uh, previously going, I believe, you know, about, about a month ago, they were almost 10 games below 500. So they've gone 19 and 10 over the last 29. Uh, just two games back in that NL East, nipping uh, at the heels of the Mets. And Shorb has been a big reason. Um, I actually would be interested. I know he's had a tremendous amount of success with leadoffs. He's at, uh, with, at the leadoff spot with leadoff home runs. He's at seven of them in the last 18 games. I'd be interested to see him, maybe them having, uh, maybe them experimenting with having him a little bit later in the lineup, like batting third, batting, um, batting uh, uh, third in the lineup, or, or, or cleanup maybe even too, um, because this is a team that has it gets on base quite a bit. They're seventh in OBP in all of baseball, and, and if you can get those guys on base with the way Schwarber's been playing, he'll knock them home, you know. And, and I think that can maybe serve them well in terms of generating more run production and, and obviously yielding more wins as a, as a result. So that'd be some interesting experimentation uh, with him, I think, for for uh, uh, for them to maybe consider. Uh, because the Nationals, man, they're on an absolute roll. Uh, just keep it going, uh, if you ask me, with, with Schwarber, uh, because they're putting the, the Mets on notice, uh, you know, for, for – as comfortable as they may feel right now, especially with how dominant their pitching's been, Mets man, they, they've got some competition that's it's starting to starting to you know stand up square you know squaring up with them right now um, as of lately in the month of uh, June as we enter into to July now. So just an incredible stretch. I mean, just the, the, the stats are off off the charts right now. I mean, we're talking most home runs in a 75 plate appearance span in MLB history with 16 home runs that beats out Mark McGuire's Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, three guys three guys who were part of that huge influx of home runs, uh, home run of home run record setting um, that occurred in the late 90s early 2000s also attached to that steroid era. I have of course I have of course am not insinuating whatsoever that Schwarber is on uh PDs whatsoever, and in fact, I think it's incredible what he's been able to accomplish, uh, given what you know how how much more strict the MLB is now in response to PD usage, and how he's doing this most likely without PDs, and it's it just unbelievable what we've been able to see from him, uh, power wise, and and he's putting the Nationals, you know, he's vaulting the Nationals up the up the uh, uh, you know the divisional standings in the NL East, and in in this uh, you know. Uh, could, they could potentially, when it's all said and done, maybe make a, an interesting playoff run if things start to turn their way. I mean, we're talking about Juan Soto here, Trey Turner, some of the more highly touted players in all of baseball representing them uh, uh, within their lineup. Uh, again, Para coming back as well. Uh, you know, he, he, who's, he could be an outstanding hitter. Uh, this is a team that's very versatile. They've got some, some very competent hitting within their lineup, and some very competent pitching. You talked about Max Scherzer being in a Cy Young caliber player again this year with the way he's playing right now. Maybe when they'll get back, Steven Strasburg. They'll, they'll launch themselves to a whole new level. And the Mets may be looking at the NL East. Uh, the NL East may be looking back at them instead of them 
sitting in front of the NL East right now. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. But they've been on an absolute tear as of lately. And he's been a big reason why. He's been an absolute big reason why. So, And, and I just remember, too, when he was playing with the Cubs, there was so much talk about the ceiling that he could potentially reach as a power header. You know, you talk about Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and Javi Baez, all these these incredibly talented players representing the Cubs right now. Back then, when he was a Cub, some people believed he was maybe even the most talented player out of all of those guys when it came to hitting, when it came to generating power. He, he just was that intimidating and that formidable at the plate. And now we're seeing him maybe finally living up to that potential power-wise to where he can get on track to, to not just hitting 30 home runs like he has done multiple times in his career, but 40, maybe even 50. Who knows, maybe even 60 if he keeps it up. And, and, and being the first guy since, since Bonds back in 2001 to hit 60. So just an incredible stretch from him this far. And he's got the Nationals rolling right now. And the Mets, man, Mac, I, I, I would totally get it if you were sweating bullets as of lately. So... <laughs> But anyways, uh, well, what, 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 hang on one last one last thing here. First of all, I need to uh, uh, to speaking to your your lineup idea. I think right now it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, Shorebird is rolling out of the leadoff spot. They had him in cleanup for most of the year. Um, I see no reason to take him out of the leadoff spot until he cools off. So I think right now Shorebird leadoff spot until he starts falling off. But uh you know, the Nationals, uh, honestly, at this point, the Nationals worry me more than any other team in the division. Um, I uh, These next few weeks will be very telling. Um, I, I know that they just swept uh, in a two-game set, but here comes the next stretch. They got the Dodgers for four. Then they got four against the Padres. And they got three against the Giants. And they got three more against the Padres. I mean, this is... This this is going to be the toughest stretch they've faced uh, thus far. And, yes, they did uh, split a four-game set with the Giants back uh, at the beginning of this hot streak. But other than that, they've faced the Pirates, uh, the Mets, who've been very beat up and are struggling a bit. They've lost 11 of them over the last 17. Uh, the Phillies, the Marlins. Um, you know, it's been a lot of divisional play. And now we're going to see what they're made of against real teams, I think. You know, I think the Nationals... While there is talent there, they're very, like you said, uh, Splash, very top-heavy. Um, outside of Schwarber, Turner, and Soto, I mean, I can't really see many guys who scare me in that lineup. Um, Ryan Zimmerman has been fantastic as a part-time player. Uh, their pitching has been led by Max Scherzer, and Brad Hand has been pretty strong out of the bullpen. Uh, it's just, will they, will they be able to maintain this? Uh, the Mets have been very beat up, and they're starting to get some of their pieces back. They're getting Brandon Nimmo back today which uh, the, one of the reasons why the Mets have struggled is a, a lack of a leadoff hitter. And it looks like the Nationals have found their leadoff hitter. So with Nimmo coming back and with other guys coming back from the Mets, we'll see what happens over these next few weeks. But I think this could really uh, be the, the uh, most important stretch of the season. I mean, this is where the Nationals have to show what they're made of. So if they're for real, they do great against these teams. Uh, if they start struggling, who know, we – the, we may. I don't know what'll come of it if they do struggle. Um, for now, though, uh, they're making me eat my words. I remember I said they should trade Scherzer. Um, now that they're back to contending, they should definitely hang on to him. And and it's gonna it's gonna be a wild ride in that at least for 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 now at least. Yeah, I, I totally echo that sentiment. Again, their next stretch of play is going to truly be their biggest test of the year. 
maybe a tall order to fill because obviously they got the Dodgers. They're, they're in the midst of a four-game stretch with the Dodgers right now. Then they've got the Padres, the Giants, and then the Padres again. So a lot of tough competition coming their way, and we'll ultimately see what how this ultimately plays out in the end. But very interesting as of lately with the way they played, and a big reason why, of course, uh, Kyle Schwarber's monster just – gargantuan power numbers he's been able to put up as of lately. But uh, folks, also, as of lately, uh, the All-Star Game starters were revealed just the other day. Uh, we now know who's going to be starting the 2021 All-Star Game as both the NL and AL rosters have been, uh, the AL, NL and AL lineups, rather, have been made available. The pitchers and the uh, reserves will be determined on a player bout and the uh, through the Player about and a commissioner's uh, and through the commissioner's office on Sunday, on uh, on ESPN at 5:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, but right now, here's what we know: the Blue Jays right now have the most starters with three in Teoscar Hernandez, Marcus Simeon, and obviously one of the top two AL MVP frontrunners in Vlad Guerrero Jr. The Braves and the Reds, meanwhile, in the NL, each have two in Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna for Atlanta, and Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos for the Reds. Uh, so, right now, the NL rosters is at, the NL starters as they read are at catcher Buster Posey, first base Freddie Freeman, second base Adam Frazier, third base Nolan Arenado, shortstop Fernando Tatis, and the outfitters are Nick Castellanos, Jesse Winker, and Ronald Acuna Jr. And then the AL, we've got Salvador Perez at catcher, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first base, Marcus Simeon at second base, third base has Rafael Devers from the Red Sox. Shortstop also with the Red Sox and Xander Bogarts. And then the outfielders are represented by Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, and Teoscar Hernandez. And also the designated hitter spot is represented by Shohei Otani. Guys, who were some of the biggest surprises for you that ultimately ended up leading the starting ballot? Well, uh, go ahead, ahead, Splash, actually. So I wrote an article about this called the correct MLB All-Star Game Ballot a few days ago. And I'm sitting here, my little desk, I'm staring at a Freddie Freeman 2020 NL MVP uh, bobblehead. And I'm just thinking, what, 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 what did people see in Freddie Freeman that says, yep, he should be an all-star starter? Because what I see is Max Muncy having an all-time, well, maybe not an all-time great season, having a phenomenal season with a much superior Dodgers team. So if you care about playing on a winning way, playing in a winning organization, Max Muncy has had a dominant season. He leads the National League in both walks and on base percentage. He has a 983 OPS. He said 18 dingers, 10 doubles. You know, he drives and runs. He plays awesome defense at first. He even played a little bit of defense at second. You know, he's having a great season and should be running away with it. But I guess Dodger hatred prevailed. Braves fandom prevailed. I, I thought that was, perhaps the worst decision in the National League. The rest of the National League's totally fine. And then the American League, we can get to the outfielders, but I think the real travesty is Max Muncy not making it as a starter over Freddie Freeman, even as a Braves fan. Yeah, I have the same thought. Um, Muncy is leading the NL in walks and on base percentage. He's bounced back very nicely from a rough uh, 2020 season. Uh, he's hitting barred. He's hitting home runs. He's got a 4.3 war, which is very strong. Um, he also has six defensive runs saved at first base and six defensive runs saved at second base. So a bit of a Swiss Army knife. Uh, I, I mean, I guess, you know, 
it is fan voting, and Freddie Freeman is a very popular player. Look, and I, I say this as a Mets fan, I love watching Freddie Freeman. I think he's a great guy. Um, you know, probably if he wasn't on the Braves, he'd be one of my favorite players. Um, he's, you know, I, I understand why fans voted for him, but I mean, Muncie was clearly the superior player. I mean, Fr- Freeman, by his standards, is having a pretty, pretty down year. So I think on the National League side, that is definitely um, disappointing. I mean, I think looking at the rest of it, I know there was a case for Justin Turner to make it over Nolan Arenado at third base, but I really didn't see much. I'm really happy that Adam Frazier made it at second base. I mean, he, uh, you know, the Pirates are not having a good season, as expected. I mean, yeah. the Pirates were projected to be the worst team in the majors this year. Um, but I'm really happy that Frazier made it. Um, he's had... Um, he's been the best player on the team, uh, other than maybe Brian Reynolds this year. Um, staying 326, he's 101 hits and 861 OPS, having the best year of his career. So, I'm um, re- really happy for him, and I'm glad the Pirates have something to uh, Pirates and their fans have something to something to be happy about because there there really hasn't been much to get excited about in, in the Steel City. Other kind of people that I'm looking at here that I'm. I don't want to say dumbfounded about, but just more that um, just I feel like a little interesting bits here is uh, the shortstop uh, predicament right now where Xander Bogarts won the overall vote in the AL. And one of the things that I think about when I'm looking at this is that there is only there that right, basically the common baseball fan really only looks at offense and because on top of it, if you look at Xander Bogart's defensive war, it's negative. He is costing his team by being out in the field. No one has said he was a great defender, but, I mean, come on. If you're going to be an all-star, you've got to be at least be able to play at least comparable defense. And with it, on top of it, the, the guy who I think honestly should have gotten it at that point, as I know I've talked a lot bad on him over the last little bit, but, you know, he's still he's doing great right now, is Carlos Correa. Correa has been outstanding right now this year. Has a war of over four this season. I mean, what more do you want to hear on that? That's honestly insane. For I know that he is a is a he is an Astro, and the Astros are still getting over are still going from their whole scandal and all that. But take a look at these kinds of stats on this year right now for Carlos Correa, batting average of just under 300, 15 home runs, 84 hits, 49 RBIs. 58 runs running an OPS of 916. He is cracked right now. A 3.4 offensive war, 1.2 defensive war. He's really doing it all. And for Correa, like, I think he should have got, he ended up, I believe, being third in the all-star voting for shortstop AL, right behind Bogarts and Bo Bichette, which I no disrespect, no disrespect to Bo Bichette, but he didn't deserve to be second. Um, I look at this, and it kind of brings me to a conclusion that we all kind of know. We we kind of hate saying aloud, but it's true. And that is that the All-Star Game voting has very little to do with stats. It has more to do with what team are you with? Are you a popular player? Because we take a look at other guys that one, I'll say one more name on this that 100% I think deserves to be in the All Star game. And I think he will be after the the extra players are added in, and that's Cedric Mullins. Mullins with the Orioles has 
had an amazing season this year, really coming out of nowhere. And for Mullins, I mean, he plays for the Orioles. Not many people really know who he is. Well, so I'll give you a little crash course on Cedric Mullins right now. He's an outfielder, 4.0 war on the season, batting 322 and an OPS of 942. And this guy did not make the top three vote getters in, in the outfield? How? This guy has been cracked out of his mind this season. And when you take a look at his previous seasons, he was, I mean, not um, incredible, but he did, he did good, I mean. Like, you see, the 2020 was the real start of Mullins. Here, he did play a bit in 2019 and a little bit in 2018. Don't look at those stats. They're horrible. We're talking about him on the uprise, where in the shortened 2020 season, he still batted 271 on an Orioles team that was, let's be honest, very forgettable. This season, the Orioles are starting to get a little bit more recognition, and he's one of the main reasons why. A batting average of 322, an on-base percentage of 391, and even slugging 550. I mean, this guy is doing good. He even has 14 home runs for a guy that, I mean, admittedly, is more of a base hit guy. But he is still playing extremely well, and he didn't even make the top of the votes. The, the problem I see right here is that the real all-star selections, shall I say, really come with the commissioner selections afterwards, after the all-star voting. Because as we've seen now, there are people that don't deserve it that get in, and people that do deserve it that are left off the ballots. Yeah, you know, I love that point that you brought up about how sometimes their name, uh, their, 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 their recognition because of their name or because of the team they play for, uh, stands out a lot more than what their individual performance uh, should ultimately for this individual season. Uh, you know, based on their history of, of how they played throughout the career. I think also, obviously, with the starters, it's determined by fan voting. So stuff in the ballots for certain teams because their team's doing well and they want to support their team. That also comes into play. Um, yeah, I, I, there, some of those uh, choices I, I definitely echo. Uh, namely with Muncie, for instance. Um, I think Muncie absolutely should have gotten the start over... Freddie Freeman, as much as I love Freddie Freeman, and he's been outstanding, um, reigning MVP, obviously, for the National League. Muncie has more homers, a higher average, higher OBP, uh, higher slugging, uh, and he's been a more effective first baseman defensively. He's also crushing fastballs in general for a 318 average, with a lot of his home runs coming off of fastballs, and he's slugging 673 against the number one most used pitch in all of baseball. So he's really just been doing it all. If you ask me, and outside of maybe average, obviously you would rather have the average, you know, a little higher than 265. I believe it is right now, 264. Um, but it's still higher than Freddie Freeman's. And I think with the way he's helped his team, obviously, in the NL West, compared to what Freeman's done in the NL East, where the Braves have been arguably the most disappointing team in all of baseball, that also plays a role into why Muncie deserved and warranted more love, ultimately, than he ended up receiving. Uh, you can make also a strong argument for Jake Cronenworth at second base instead of Adam Frazier. I like Adam Frazier. I think he, there's a ton of value that he brings. He's got 660 slugging on breaking ball pitches. He's batting 327 in terms of his uh, contact this year. He's got a 395 OBP as well and 24 doubles and four triples. So he's done a lot of different things in a special fashion. But 
Cronenworth has more runs scored, more home runs, more RBIs, slugging. He's a better defender at second base as well. Um, I, I think, and he's also turned out 17 doubles on top of that too to boot. So I think there could have been a, a very legitimate argument for Cronenworth being in at second base instead of Frazier. But nonetheless, I'm happy that he got his love, Frazier did, for the Pirates considering what they've gone through because it has been an absolutely abysmal year for them. I'm also hoping that Brian Reynolds gets some love in the uh, reserves. He's been uh, tremendous as a contact hitter and as a power hitter as well, and not too shabby uh, defensively as well. Um, and maybe he could have even started over someone like a Jesse Winker, not saying necessarily that was the case, but um, uh, but he's someone I think absolutely deserved to be uh, uh, absolutely deserves to get some love when it's all said and done. Um, that's really it in the NL, you can make an argument also for Justin Turner. He's got a higher average in OBP and run scored as well uh, than Nolan Arenado. But I, I'm fine with that considering the power that Nolan's generated this year. He's been very uh, effective in that regard. And obviously he brings a lot of uh, a lot of uh, tremendous play defensively. Uh, maybe not quite – we haven't seen quite as many spectacles come from him fielding-wise this year as we've seen normally. But uh, nonetheless, he's still very productive at the third base spot. And the AL – I think he made, uh, you were talking about Carlos Correa, uh, Alex. I think, again, a strong argument can be made for him at shortstop. He's been a lot better of a defender than Xander has this year. He's been more effective in terms of going yard this year, hitting 15 home runs, which trumps Xander's 13. Uh, of course, Xander beats him out in terms of contact this year, but, uh, you know, and he's also beaten him out in terms of doubles and slugging. But but I think what Xander brings, uh, what Carlos brings, from, a, from an all-around perspective, including what he brings defensively, I think value it, it, it casts a higher value at the shortstop spot than what Xander ultimately brings. Uh, but uh, I, I wasn't too bent out of shape by that because, again, Xander's been lights out um, at the plate. So I was okay with that. I, the big thing, I think, was Teoscar Hernandez being selected as one of the outfielders, and even Buxton and Trout, and a lot of people are going to say, whoa, that is sacrilegious what you're saying, talking about Mike Trout not being in the, starting in the All-Star game, and even Buxton, considering this year and the way he's played, because he's obviously he obviously was on an MVP caliber level when he was healthy. But key phrase there, when he was healthy, and just like Trout, when he was healthy, he was also on an MVP caliber level. But the thing is, neither of those guys are healthy. Neither of those guys will be playing in the All-Star game. So I think, honestly, Cedric Mullins should have gotten more love, just like uh, uh, I believe you were saying that too, uh, Clark, in terms of uh, Alex, excuse me, uh, that, that he warranted more consideration to be a starter. He's been an outstanding contactor and been an outstanding hitter all around uh, this year with the way he's played for the Orioles. But again, I think playing for the Orioles kind of sets him back a bit, considering the fact that the Orioles have been as bad as they have been. But, I mean, we're talking 14 home runs, 22 doubles, 3 triples, 15 stolen bases. This guy's a tremendous base runner. And that should be valued more, I think, when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, consideration as a starter for the All-Star game. Because sprinting speed, running on the bases, that's, that's, got tr that's going to play a significant role in, in, in seeing the best performance possible. Uh, you know, in terms of generating more run production when we watch the All-Star game. He's also had three defensive runs saved. Only really trails Hernandez in RBIs. So I was really shocked with, with Mullins not 
getting more love uh, with the way he's been able to uh, play this year. Again, hitting 322 as well. I also thought Michael Brantley, despite having fewer home runs, more runs scored, though, nonetheless, and more doubles. A 340 average this year. And, and been a tremendous defender as well in the outfield with three defensive runs saved for the Astros. I, I do wonder how much of a role it, it played, uh, the, the, the scandal played in, in why the Astros ultimately didn't receive as many votes as they, as they did for, for starters. Because this is the team I think should, that should ultimately have the most representation out of any team in all of baseball this year with the way they've just been well-rounded in all aspects to their game. And Brantley and Correa, they were certainly two of those guys that I thought stood out and, 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 and deserved more, uh, more consideration um, for the All-Star game. But those were really the, the biggest ones that stood out to me. I was, for the most part, okay with it. It's just really Muncie and, and probably uh, uh, the outfielders that really bugged me. Uh, I'm sorry, Freeman and the outfielders that really bugged me in terms of the guys who ended up starting. And not to say that those guys don't deserve love in the All-Star game. Teoscar should go, absolutely. I, I believe he should be on the all-star uh, uh, roster for the AL. Same with Freeman, just not necessarily as starters. Uh, who are you guys hoping to get some more love? Uh, who are you guys hoping gets some more love when it comes to the reserve aspect of the roster uh, when it's all said and done that you didn't see on the starters? So can I can I be a little bit of a homer for a moment? Go ahead. Uh I, I every team gets at least one representative, and for me, I just wrote an article about this. In fact, but J.P. Crawford for the Seattle Mariners has been absolutely incredible this year, and he's I think one of the most underappreciated fielders in the game. When you take a look at what he has done on the season, he's always been known as just a defensive ace. He's been known as the guy that can well. He won a Gold Glove last year, but he's the guy that will make a play. He if he makes an error you know that you've almost watched something more incredible than other things in sports because it just doesn't happen. But I want to bring up a couple of things here that I don't think a lot of people would really under, would really think about when you think about J.P. Crawford. With J.P., defensively-wise, we all know he's amazing, but did you know that right now he actually leads the entirety of Major League Baseball in defensive war? Yeah. 1.6 yeah. to one. The next closest is Isaiah Kiner-Falefa with a 1.5, but even go back about a few days ago when I was writing the article about it, he had a 0.2 lead on the next closest to him. So right now it's proven that not only is he a good defender, he is an elite defender. And then we'll say, okay, well, can he hit? Because that's what it all always comes down to at the very end. And the answer to that is actually yes. He, on the season right now, batting 286 with a 348 on-base percentage, he's not a slugging kind of guy. He's a guy that's going to just get on base. Does have 40 runs and 30 RBIs with him. But the big thing with him is that I did not even see this coming when I was writing this article. J.P. Crawford's war right now is 3.0. To compare that with some of the other people that were in the All-Star, but Bo Bichette, a 3.1 war. And then, let's say, Carlos Correa. He's the one who I think deserves to have the win overall, but a 4.1 war. He's comparative to, to the, uh, he's comparing a lot with these guys, but then you take a look at the guy who won it. His war is 2.5. Part of the reason why I don't think that Xander Bogart sh should have been the leading vote at, short, at shortstop. 
But then you take a look at it even more so. We, I brought it up earlier that he has a negative defensive war at point at negative point eight, whereas his offensive war, yes, fantastic at three point seven. Kind of expected that. But if you're gonna, when I look at an all star, I want a player that is not just good in one aspect. I want a player that is good at everything that they do. And that is one of the things I think J.P. Crawford definitely deserves to be an also. I don't even think he got even got 1% of the vote. But if you look at these stats, I think that there's a very legitimate case that Crawford not like should have at least been within, I think, even the top five, but should be the mayor's representative come all-star reserve time. What about you guys? What do you guys say about the reserves? In terms of so, hoping someone gets more love. Uh, well, one guy, so I understand the Angels already have two representatives. I mean, they have Otani and they have Trout, which I completely understand your point about Trout and a guy like Buxton, who both injured. But they will get uh, uh, Trout, since he's already been named, he will have an injury replacement, which I certainly hope is one of Mullins, Brantley, or... Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of outfielders. Probably, uh, or Adolis Garcia, maybe, or Joey Gallo. Like, one of those guys, um, I hope, uh, will will be the replacement. But I think another angel who deserves recognition is Jared Walsh. Um, I've spoken on uh, about him in past episodes, but he's had a fantastic year, uh, backing up that strong uh, showing he had last year in 32 games. This year, he's hitting 282. The 345 on base percentage and 568 slugging, giving him a 913 OPS. He has 20 homers and 58 RBIs. Um, last year in, a, in 108 at bats, he had nine homers. So that's a pretty, it, it's uh, a good way to back it up. Yes, he strikes out a decent amount. He strikes out 28% of the at bats, of his at bats, I mean. Uh, and he, but he, he draws a decent amount of walks and his, um, his defense isn't great. But, uh, you know, at first base, which is, not the strongest position, I would say, in the AL. Um, although you have guys also like Matt Olson, who I definitely will, uh, hope he gets recognized. Uh, I think that Walsh has a very good case to make it, and I hope he, uh, I hope he gets it. So um, I think Walsh is one guy, um, and then the one other guy I talk about uh, is Mike Zanino. Um, Zanino, everyone knows him. You know he is a very good defensive catcher. He's actually one of the best framers and he's, he's not I mean, this year. He's not having, he doesn't have a great arm, but he's one of the best framers in the, the league and he has ridiculous raw power uh, at the plate. And, you know, his, the concern is always strikeouts. You know, he struck out 73 times this year and 167 at bats, which is almost 40% of his at bats. He struck out, uh, which is actually down from his uh, numbers last year. But this year, uh, yeah, he's only hitting 210. His on-base percentage is only 296, but his walk rate has gone up actually to 9.5%, and he's slugging 563. He has 18 homers. So I think you know the catcher is a weak position. Uh, yes, uh, Salvador Perez has uh, taken the reins somehow as the AL starter, which I don't really agree with. Um, so I hope Zanino does uh, get some recognition here. He's I, I understand he's very much a homer or strikeout guy, but I've I've never given up on him, and I hope that uh, I hope that uh, he gets recognized and gets named to the team. What about you, Splash? In the same vein, I'm going with another American League catcher, and this one isn't even batting 200. This is Mr. Yasmani Grandal, two-time All-Star, one with the Brewers, one with the Dodgers. 
<clears throat> he has a 186, 388, 441 slash line, good for an 828 OPS. So you're wondering why isn't 186 batter in my in my voting? Well, he leads, as far as I can remember, uh, leads Major League Baseball and walks. Actually, I don't think he leads it anymore. Beside the point, he walks at an absurd rate. We're talking Barry Bonds level of walking. He's at a 24.5% walk rate this season. And when you're getting on base 39% of the time, I think that trumps anything you do in terms of batting average. So take Salvador Perez, who never walks. You're looking at a Perez is batting 280, almost 100 points higher, but Grandal gets on base 8% of the time extra. Salvador Perez, 30.6%. Grandal's 38.8%. And the defensive metrics, like Mac mentioned, Grandal is one of the better framers in the league. Perez is one of the worst framers in the league. So with Grandal, you get a good defensive catcher and an elite on-base guy. I know he's batting 186. I don't really care. He's getting on base more than Perez. And when he does when he does hit the ball, 17 out of 33 hits are extra bases. He has 14 home runs, a 130 OPS plus. And again, good defensive metrics. That matters for a catcher. So if I were in charge, my two catchers would be Zanino and Grandal. Grandal starting. Perez could be the third catcher. That's fine. But if you're only bringing two, Grandal and Zanino, absolutely. Yeah, I, I know there's a lot of been a lot of blowback about uh, the catcher spot in the AL with Salvador Perez taking the leading spot as the starter. You know, I, I totally get what you're saying, and I, I know he's he's probably more valuable base runner too. On top of that, as well as is generating more walks and getting on base and scoring more runs. But I just think there's just more potential with what Salvador Perez can do with the bat compared to what Yasmani Grandal uh, can do just getting on base uh, from from walks. So I, I think that's just the, the power he's been able to generate. I and mean, this is some of his best hitting we've seen from Perez. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the argument for why he should be the the starter definitively, but we're seeing his best hitting, arguably, maybe of his career, considering the uh, uh, you know the amount of time he's played this year, uh, from how much he played last year, where he yeah he was hitting over 300, but it was only through a handful you know through a fraction of the games that he's played this year, you know during the pandemic stricken season. So uh, the way he's been able to generate power in terms of you know uh, hitting for average, hitting again. Uh, of course, 280, 278 this year with 19 home runs, also driving in 48 runs. Um, I, I think, in my opinion, I value more than what Grandall brings to just getting on base and relying on others to knock him in and to, to help him generate more run production when when uh, when uh, Perez could just do that at one swing of the bat. Now, Grandall can, can hit for, for power, but not necessarily for contact. And I think with that 100-point deficit, it's, it's a liability for him at the plate when it comes to making something bigger than just generating a walk. And, and furthermore, I think this is also interesting. I know he's not the best framer right now, uh, but but Salvador Perez has been very effective this year in gunning down runners. I mean, he's got the third highest caught stealing percentage out of all catchers who played more than 30 games. He's only trailing Martin Maldonado and Austin Hedges for uh, uh, the Cleveland Indians. Of course, Maldonado is is second in the AL uh, in terms of All Star starting voting, um, so he'll probably get some love as a reserve for the uh, the American League roster uh, this year. But he's been very effective in that regard, at the very least. And I think just what he can bring to at the plate, it, it just it, it trumps, in my opinion, 
the the walks that are generated with Yasmani Grandel. But I totally get the argument that could be made for Yasmani Grandel, despite the alarming uh, disparity in uh, the alarming difference in in in, um, in batting average at the very least. Uh, but again, yeah, a lot of representation I expect from the Astros uh, with them having seven guys right now who are either in the top three or the top five of their position voting. The reason why I say top five is because obviously outfielders are going to have more guys on the ballot in terms of who's getting the percentage of votes. Uh, so seven different guys. I expect that to uh, them to receive the, the utmost love. Again, Carlos Correa, maybe the biggest guy you, you can make an argument for for not being uh, for, for uh, a, a huge starting snub, considering the fact that, again, this is someone when it's all said and done, could be an MVP candidate joining Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Shohei Otani in the American League. So, again, it's really shocking to see him not get as much love. For, you know, that, that come to think of it, honestly, that he, he really may be the number one guy, even more than Muncie, and um, and uh, um, you, you know, more than Muncie, and and uh, it, you know, obviously in the outfield with what happened with Teoscar Hernandez representing, as opposed to other guys like Mullins and Brantley, who I thought should have gotten over him. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Again, the uh, All-Star reserves are expected to be announced on Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ESPN. That's where we'll find out the, the reserves and the pitchers. Um, but right now, we do know the starters. And just and, and, and I, I was more impressed this year compared to previous years in terms of how the fans ultimately ended up turning out with their votes. So... Uh, kudos to them for, for getting a lot of names right. Of course, there's always going to be disagreements, as there are every year. Um, but, uh, you know, it, I, I have to give them, uh, you know, a lot more respect this year, I think, compared to previous years in terms of getting a lot of the names that I, I for the most part, agreed with. Uh, but that'll do it for us here on Cheap Seats Chatter. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed listening into this episode. Once again, I'm David Gillespie, your host. We had Ryan Potts, uh, a.k.a. Splash, Matthias Altman, Kursake, a.k.a. Mac. And Alex Clark joining in. Hope you guys enjoyed listening in. And thank you again for tuning in. And we'll see you next week right here on Cheap Seats Chat.